Genesis chapter 4. Going on to Genesis chapter 4. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, With the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, and Abel also brought an offering fat portions from, those, from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must roll, rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. And the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? Okay, we'll, we'll end there this morning. And then God uh, uh, gives a, a punishment, uh, a curse, and then Cain says, it's too much to bear. And then God gives some type of covering over Cain so that um, he would still be protected. Um, okay, so let's go to verse 5, which I thought was very interesting, very fascinating. Okay, uh, So the scriptures tells us that in time, as time passed over time, Cain, it seems like of his own initiative, Cain... Uh, decided to bring some fruits of the soil. So he was, he was one, you know, agriculture, he, he planted stuff, he cultivated, nurtured. Uh, so he brought some of these fruits uh, to the Lord. Uh, and then it says in verse 4, Abel also brought some fat portions from the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked, it says, with favor on Abel and his offering, Verse 5, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain became very angry, and his face was downcast. So I, I, I find this quite fascinating um, that God had chosen, had conveyed or articulated that one particular offering was better versus the other that he didn't look on favor with. And I, and I was just thinking as a, as a parent, you know, as a parent, I would never do that, you know? Uh, I wouldn't say to one child, oh, like, wow, so good, you know, you perform, oh, you, you didn't perform well. You know, it, it just, I just know that it's gonna cause division. I know that it's gonna cause uh, 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 strife. Um, so, so what's going on here, right? What's, what's going on here? A uh, couple, couple things that were drawn out, you know, some, some, some things that were prompted in the spirit, and then I'll try to bring it all together and weave it into the redemptive narrative, okay? You always have to remember, whenever you look at something in the scriptures, and you read it, and it doesn't make sense, and you're going to find that a lot. And so a lot of times people just like, they, they write off the scriptures. Oh, because of that, that doesn't make sense, I'll just, you know, let someone else explain it to me. Does that make sense? 
No, you have to read the scriptures for yourself. Okay? If there's ever any text or chapter or context that doesn't seem to make sense, you have to do two things. Okay? You know, like eye doctors, right? When you go to get an optometrist and you get glasses. Have, have, has everyone done that before? Is anyone that hasn't done that yet? If you haven't done that, that is because you're really young. One day you will. Okay, I guarantee it. Right? And so they do a lens test and they'll, they'll give one lens and they'll, they'll let you try it on and the second lens. And so that's what we have to do when you look at scriptures. When something's not clear, when something's out of focus, when something doesn't seem to make sense, you can't just throw it out. That's ridiculous, right? You have to put on another lens. Another lens. And here are two lenses that always work, that, that you can't forget if you've been stuck in scriptures before. If there's any passage, in fact, that, you, that doesn't make sense to you. One, you have to look at that passage in the context of all the scriptures. Okay? So you have to look at this text or verse in contrast or in, 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 along with all the other verses in the scriptures. Um, so I'll get to, you know, I won't get into too much into it, but you know, obviously Paul says something about uh, uh, how women should you know, uh, uh, behave or perform in, in a specific certain context, right? In the church. Uh, go as far as to say women should not say anything, should not even speak uh, uh, or, or teach over a man. Yet, when you look at all throughout the other places in scriptures, you see that God gives divine revelation and actually appoints women as leaders. There's prophets and prophetesses in the New Testament post-resurrection. Obviously, women who are hearing from God and then conveying you know, the promptings of the Spirit. And so you have to look at the whole picture. You can't look at one isolated. There's some troublesome passages. Then you look at a little bit you know, historical, cultural uh, context and whatnot. So you need to know the whole of the scriptures. The word is the whole counsel of the scriptures to bring clarity to something that seemingly doesn't make sense. Secondly, no matter what, you must always look through the lens of Christ. Any passage, Old Testament, Revelations, you know, Leviticus, all the stuff, you must always look through the, redempt, the, the bigger picture. The, you know, I, I, simplify, I oversimplified the scriptures of saying that the whole Bible was, I'm sorry, oversimplified, saying that the whole scriptures was just a love letter you know, from the very beginning of Genesis, of a father who lost his children and would do anything he could to get them back. And that was the narrative of the cross. He went to the cross to, bring, to, to adopt them, to bring them back as sons and daughters, all, all of humanity. Um, and so you must always remember, no matter what passage, in the backdrop of the cross. And so that's why I said, even in the midst of Israel being punished, disciplined, taken into captivity, uh, uh, you know, uh, ailments, sickness, death, like you would look and like, it doesn't make sense. But in the backdrop of the greater narrative of the cross that God himself is going to go and pay the ultimate price, it makes sense, right? It's not a God who has this incredible standard and expects you to live up to it. And if you can't, then you're punished. He understands that the standard is so high. And so God comes down, pays the price himself. Okay, so what's going on here in verses 4 or 5? Well, let me just say, you know, in the context of all, everything I just said, let me just say, say this. God has standards. Okay? God has a standard. He's not that coach that gives every single person a trophy for being on the team. He, he, you, guys, you guys hear about that, right? In the last like 10, 15 years, all of a sudden, every single player on the team gets a trophy simply for being on the team, participation, because they have to be you know, fair, they have to be equal. You know, gone are the days where they celebrate you know, the MVP or, or the offensive player you know, or the defensive player, things like that. Now everyone gets a trophy, so you know, no one's special, everyone's the same. You know, you know, whether it's, you know, culturally speaking in, in that sense, um, 
you know, you see it playing out even in gender and, and rights and, and, and all these things, right? They want to neutralize everything. God has standards, and His standards are very high. His standards are perfection, right? And so for God to have a standard and say, I, I accept this offering, this offering is pleasing to me, and this offering is not pleasing to me, well, well the question is, oh, that's not, that's not fair. The, the question we should be asking is, why? Right? If God is just, if God is righteous, if God is God, and He makes a call, the question we should be asking is, why did He make that call? Not a judgment on that call. Does that make sense? Right? Because even, you know, even drawing a judgment on that says, says a lot about sort of our heart or condition or stance of where we think you know, we are. God's standards are the highest. God's standards are perfection. So much so that in the New Testament, when Jesus is sharing about what it takes to enter into the kingdom of God, some of the people are listening to Jesus. It's like, what? Then who can actually go to heaven? Like, these, this, this is too much. Like, who, who, who can attain to these standards, right? Um, somewhere in the, in, the, in the New Testament, in one of the accounts, uh, it, it says if your, if your uh, uh, eye causes you to sin, then gouge it out, right? If your hand causes you to sin, then cut it off, right? And, like, the same thing, like, oh, my goodness, like, if this is a standard, like, man, like, we'd all be, like, you know, armless and, and eyeless, right? Who, who can attain to these standards? And, and that's the whole point. Do you guys get it? The whole point is you can't. There is a standard, you see? But we can't ever attain to it, right? And so that's why we need Jesus and the cross. But don't ever think that because of Jesus and the cross that there's no standard. Does that make sense? Don't ever think that because Jesus paid it all, oh, therefore, there must be no standard. I can do whatever I want. Everyone gets a trophy. No. There was a high cost involved. The standard is perfection. The standard is high and will always remain there. That standard has never been diminished. But when someone says, you know, who can enter heaven then? Then Jesus says, with man it's impossible, but in God all things are possible. And he's foreshadowing. He's pointing to the fact that in me you can. In you you can't. Right? Amen. So God has standards, right? Um, he favors uh, uh, Abel's offering. Abel's offering is the fat of newborn flock. You know, newborn flock are precious. Uh, fat is a luxury. It's like, it would be like the caviar of today, right? I, I, I love caviar. I once had um, uh, uh, my dad's hardware employee, half Native American and American, Sister was an airline stewardess uh, uh, for Canadian airline, flew to Russia several times a year, would go to this particular region and would bring beluga caviar, to, like, like, like three, four cans to his brother, but he didn't like it. So he would give it to my dad. My dad didn't like it. I remember sitting there about three, four hundred, maybe five hundred dollars per can, not knowing at that time, opening up each one, trying it. I said, hmm, this is pretty good. I, I, I ate three cans in one sitting. It was so good. It was like $1,000. But I didn't know at the time. But my dad didn't like it. He didn't like it. You know, so uncultured, right? So, right? Uh, and I literally just ate this, like, blue caviar from, you know, pure gold, black, and, and whatnot. Why, why am I talking about caviar? I'm so hungry. Yes, offering. It's, it's the fat offering. It's, it's, uh, it's, it would be the equivalent of, like, caviar. It's, it was the best of the best. Abel was giving God first choice. The best of the best. Some commentaries, theologians believe that 
uh, uh, came, you know, says the fruits of the ground was, you know, fruits, generally speaking, don't grow from the, from the ground. Fruits grow from plants or trees. And so a lot of theologians, uh, scholars think that what God, what Cain was giving God, it wasn't bad, but it was the fruits that fell to the ground, meaning they're overripe, right? Not the choice, not the best. So in essence, what's going on here? Uh, uh, Abel is giving God his first. Cain is giving God leftovers. Don't give God your leftovers. Don't give God your leftover time. Don't give God your leftover uh, uh, tithes, right? Not, you know, after you spent what you've needed for the month, monthly, and then what you have left, then okay, I give it. That's, that's leftovers. You give to God first, right? Don't, don't plan all your things and projects, and once this thing takes off, then I'll go to church, right? That's, that's leftovers, right? We're giving the first fruits. I'm preaching to the choir here. Right? We're giving our first fruits of the 21 days of our lives of this year first and foremost to God. Right? Give your best. Be intentional. Set aside you know, the delight, what is pleasing to God. Don't give God your leftovers. And that's what happens. And so, so you know, I mean, on the surface, it both looks like they're giving something good. And they're both good. But certainly one is better. Certainly one is better. God is able to discern and to say... You know, I, I, I hold this up. It's some foreshadowing going here. The best of the best, the first, you know, firstborn of the flock. You know, Christ ultimately would be the firstborn, uh, 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 you know, uh, uh, the son of God. You know, the best of the best. And it's symbolic and uh, almost a foreshadowing of Christ coming. So God favors the sacrifice ultimately that points to Christ. Okay. Um, the big hang up oftentimes is... Um, and, and I've been there before, and that's why I know you, you, you've been there, and, and maybe you're there now. But the big hang-up, I, I get the privilege, you know, every so often, uh, through friends, through church, uh, individually, to present the gospel to people who are uh, uh, either against it or hostile or, or just really don't know and, and, and want to understand more. You know, maybe even grew up in the church but left the church a long time ago. Um, one of the big hang-ups for non-believers um, is this idea of God's justice. As, as far as they know, and as far as, as far as their narrative, because they're at the center seat, right? And, and they don't understand, they don't have or grasp ju just yet the big picture. You know, how can a God of love, you know, who loves everyone, you know, how can, how can there be hell? <clears throat> you know, how can there be eternal judgment? How can there be death? How can there be sickness, right? Th these, are, these are real questions. They're great questions. Um, and often, if you don't have the narrative of the first three chapters that I explained to you guys, that God has a plan, that God has a purpose, and we know the cross, that ultimately He paid the ultimate price. He's, he's willing to pay that price of death, you know, of sin, of separation. He's willing to take it upon Himself. But a lot of people don't know that. They don't, they don't get that part of the gospel. Um, and so if that part is missing, there's just no way you're going to be able to acknowledge God's character as good. Without the cross... Without that centerpiece, everything of God's character hinges on the cross. Without that message, if you don't have that revelation, even as a Christian who grew up in church all your life, singing songs about Jesus up here, but never down here, you will always question God's character. You, as a believer, will always judge uh, or, or, you know, or, or, or question God's judgment. Even now. Even though you know, and something still makes sense, you, you have questions. Well, it all has to do of our sense of justice. 
And what we're doing is we're kind of looking from our vantage point, not from a kingdom vantage point, not from the gospel crucifixion uh, vantage point. You, ha you have to look through those lens because without those lens, you're just not going to see it. Um, you know, uh, one of the things we do, we, um, uh, uh, we do baby dedications, right? And, and, and there are a lot of churches. You probably grew up in churches. I grew up in a church where they baptize babies, right? And there's nowhere in scriptures, nowhere in scriptures is there a single account where anyone baptizes a baby. They're dedicating children all the time. Even Jesus was dedicated at the temple. Okay? And so I, I thought about this. Well, well where, did, where did this transition from very clear scriptural, you know, context all of a sudden? Well, because, you know, in, in the early church and, and in, in the dark ages, medieval, uh, uh, infant mortality rates were very high. You know? And, and so it was a theological struggle to believe that a child, you know, who doesn't know God and, and can't profess faith and isn't baptized can go to hell. Like, what kind of God would do that, right? That's, it's, a, it's a very difficult struggle. So, hey, let's baptize babies. There you go. Problem solved. If we baptize a baby, baptism is for their salvation, and, and that answers that problem. It's kind of a patch-up. Does that make sense? It kind of, it at least the conscience is a little bit sedated. Does that make sense? But no. No. Baptism is, is for those that can profess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Do babies go to hell? That's a, that's, a, that's a really tough question. But, I mean, the answer is yes. <laughs> yeah, anyone who doesn't believe in Christ. Eternal separation. But, so when we hear something like that, or, you know, and I, and I try to pick something quite extreme, right? But there's a lot of other layers and things and things that we question about God's judgment, about God's character, right? Whether old, elderly, us, if you're not saved, if you don't profess Jesus Christ, um, God's justice is the highest. God's justice is perfect. Uh, there is a standard. And so when we hear something like that, this is what happens, okay? Listen, this is what happens. As you, as you let it kind of sink in a little bit, right? In the back of our mind, it's like, that's not right. That's not right. That's not okay. How, how can a baby that has done nothing, right, be sent into eternal, you know, separation or then... All we have right now are the scriptures. We must base our understanding and theology off scripture. Sometimes there's grace, sometimes if we don't understand, we leave that up to God. Um, and so what happens is, you know, on the things where we start to question, and, and, and what happens is we put ourselves in the judgment seat. Like, we're the ones who determines what's right, what's wrong. Right? Do you guys see how subtle? How, how even something as... As, as so sensitive or so personal <coughs> as this, this is the Garden of Eden. Once again, this is us saying, I don't know that, like, how can that be fair? How can that be just? Here's, here's what we're saying. If I was God, I wouldn't do it that way. I wouldn't let babies go to hell. Do you guys, do you guys see that? So subtle, right? No, no, one, no one of us would say, I'm God and I know better. Right? I mean, come on, that's crazy, right? We, we, but whether it's this, whether it's someone you love who got sick, whether it's a job that you worked so hard in that you, that, that, that you lost, whatever the negative circles, in the back of our mind somewhere is like, I, I'm not God, but if I was God, that's not how I would do it. That doesn't seem fair to me. The moment you think that thought, you are, you are the God of your life. You are the one that calls the shots. Your moral standards 
I mean, we're humble and modest enough to say we're not God, but we're not humble and modest enough to say, you know, we have thoughts that are opposing to God. Does that make sense? Right? And so, so even something like this, babies that are in eternal separation from God. Well, that's, that's not fair. That's not how I would do it. I, you know, I, I wouldn't say this to God, but, you know, if I was God, I would, I would do it differently. That, that's, that's the whole narrative. That's the whole battle. That's the whole, the knowledge of good and evil. That's, that's either you subscribe and submit to everything God says and surrender to him, or you don't. That's it. Okay, I'll give you what I usually tell, uh, uh, you know, when I get the privilege to say this. Um, I'll try to take this whole baby issue, or for anyone for that matter, and put it in the bigger context. Sure. Let's stop it. Okay. <laughs> um, it says, I don't understand what you're saying. It makes me self-conscious. <clears throat> um, um, okay. So let me, give you, let me give you a little bit of perspective. Bigger picture, right? The gospel, Genesis, origins. Okay. Don't forget, okay? Uh, actually, because when Adam and Eve sinned, don't forget this. Actually, according to God's standards, everyone goes to hell. Everyone is separated. The moment Adam and Eve sinned, every person from that point forward to eternity is eternally separated. That's righteous. Not, not what you and I think is righteous. God's standard of righteousness is that. It's God's grace that the triune God, you know, planned in advance before creation that one would go to the cross and die. And, and the mandate and the, and the biblical invitation is anyone who would believe has an opportunity to be saved and have eternal life. But it's a choice. It's always going to be a choice. Not going to be forced or strong-armed. Right? And so God, uh, uh, you know, like if we're saying that's not righteous, that's not just, and if we're the standard of righteous and justice, well, the reality is, is everyone deserved separation. Everyone deserved eternal judgment. But it was by God's grace that he went to the cross. And for those who would believe, would have eternal life and be saved. Um, I won't get into it now, but uh, uh, there's symbolism, language, foreshadowing, uh, all throughout the Old Testament. So even before Christ physically came, uh, the work of Jesus on the cross is for all time, before and end. And so if you look at the Old Testament, you know, how was someone saved in the Old Testament before Jesus came, right? It was relationship with God. It was trust in God. God says of Abraham, because of this, because you had faith, I call you friend. And God covers him. God, God's righteousness, God's relationship covers him. Okay, and so that's just, you know, uh, I, I hope that's helpful. And, and, I'm, and I'm bringing this up because I want you to know that God has standards. That, that's the whole point. I, 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 I think it's very um, deceiving, very, can be very destructive. You know, it, it might be the reason why you're not living your, the fullest in your life in Christ. Because we've taken the grace part, but we haven't taken, it's like selective reading. We, we read the parts of scriptures that we like because they're soft and, and I feel so loved. But then we don't read the parts of scriptures where God actually asks us to do stuff. Does that, does that make sense? You know, and that's what I mean by when I say it's a two-way relationship. And so all of this, whenever you question God's judgment or God's character or what's going on, um, you have to look at it in the backdrop of the cross. 
And that's that arrow I was pointing to. Remember I said Israel's going to go through a lot of hardships, judgment, ailments, sickness, death, captivity, enslavement. And you look at stuff like that all throughout from Leviticus, Numbers, Exodus, all, you know, all the way through you know, the, 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 the judges, the, the, the minor prophets, all that stuff. And you're just wondering, where is God? Where is God? God is already in motion, weaving through, through the narrative of the cross. Um, if you want, maybe if I have time tomorrow, I, I don't know, I usually reserve these for more smaller knit discipleship. Um, you know, but you know, there's passages in scriptures where God uses Israel to wipe out whole, like, like genocide upon whole peoples, women and children. That's very problematic. And once again, our, our justice antennas start to go up. Whoa, what's going on here? Oh, is that a God that I can trust? You know, that's not how I would do it. You guys, you guys see that? You guys, it's, it's very subtle. And you have to be very careful about that. And that's the whole point. I, I, you know, from what you're thinking, because you're human, because God gifted you, because God gave you free life, because God, you know, free will, because God made you. And you, you were made to have those thoughts. Right? It's not like foreign. You, like, 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 because you have a choice, because you have free will, you, you, you know, and because you're brilliant, you think these things. But that's why we have to go to the tree. That's why we have to say, okay, I have all this knowledge now. I have all this because, because I know both good and evil now. But do you have discernment? Are you able to discern that God is good? Are you able to discern God's ultimate redemptive plan? And so that's still, even for us, even with theological, uh, uh, scriptural uh, uh, areas of concern, we must choose to believe what, what God did on the cross is ultimate and final, and believe that He is good, and believe that there is hope, and believe that there is life eternal. Um, and so, and, and believe that God's judgment and that God's call is righteous and is greater above all. And, with, and then we submit to that. And then the places where we don't understand, God, this doesn't make sense, or why? Whether theologically or whether in your life. I don't know how, that, that's like you got two fruits right now. Right? God, I don't understand, this doesn't make sense. In the scriptures or in my life. Uh, the, the, why is this happening? Well, you got two fruits. Which one are you going to eat? You're going to eat from the true, you know, tree of the knowledge of good and evil and, and discern for yourself? Well, and then... And then that's going to hamper your relationship with God because you, you now second-guess God. God is God is in the shady department. You know, I can give him this, but I can't give him that. Or are you going to eat from the tree of life, right? The tree of life, which is Christ on the cross. God is trustworthy. No matter what I go through in this life, whether good or bad for me, God is always good. Amen? Amen? Okay? Um, all right, let's uh, have worship come up. <clears throat> Cain... Cain says, am I my brother's keeper? And the answer is yes. Right? We are our brother's keeper. Uh, the first murder of another man because of jealousy. Uh, Cain, instead of taking a hard look at himself, right? what he was doing was displeasing. God comes to him and says, if you make a turnaround, you will have favor too. Right? God is gracious enough to communicate and say, this is not okay in your life. And then God says, if you make a turnaround, you will be favored. But instead of looking at, you know, inwardly and taking a hard look at him or herself, instead Cain allows it to manifest outwardly and takes it out on someone else. It's always easier to hurt someone else than it is to deal with your own stuff. And that's exactly what Cain does. Uh, make no mistake, make no mistake, Cain was rebelling against God. He wasn't just upset at his brother. He was rebelling against God. In fact, any form of hurt or attack or, or animosity towards a brother 
in some ways, in the back recesses, maybe unaware, is some form of rebellion against God. And so when, that's why we say when your relationship you know, with people aren't right, or with the church, or brothers and sisters aren't right, it's probably a pretty good indication your relationship with God is not in the right place. Because if our relationship with God, despite all our shortcomings, you know, and we're loving and submitted, that's going to help us love and submit to one another's. And so let the Holy Spirit um, just rest that thought. You know, if there's any brokenness in your relationships uh, with a brother or a sister, any brokenness in a relationship, uh, in family, in your workplace, amongst friends, my best advice to you, my best advice to you is to go to God and get right with God. Go to God and get right. You're so upset at this person. Don't go speak to that person. You go to God. Get right with God. Spend some time checking your heart, checking your spirit, your inventory. Get right with God before you try to get right you know, with those around you. Uh, um, I'm not saying it's easy, but you'll, you'll, you'll be in a far better position uh, with God's spirit. Um, so let's respond. Um, sorry, let me just say this one last verse. At the very last verse of chapter 4, at the very last verse of chapter 4, it says, At that time, verse 26, people began to call on the name of the Lord. So there was this spiritual decline, the fall. You know, Adam and Eve sinned, gave birth, Cain and Abel, you know, uh, uh, Cain murders his brother Abel. There's this spiritual decline. There's this farness from God. There's this, the value systems of the world start to permeate. And then in chapter, uh, uh, the letter parts of the chapter, it says that Adam and Eve had a third son, Seth. And around this time, around this time, people once again began to call on the name of the Lord. This is the move of God. This is the first account of revival. The first account in the scriptures of revival. From a place of right standing before God to a spiritual decline where everything's getting messed up. And then around this time, the scripture says, people once again began calling upon the name of the Lord. And so let us once again in the midst of our messiness, in the midst of all the stuff, let us once again as a church and as a people begin to call on the name of Jesus. Let's do that this morning as we respond in worship.